the money is flowing like salmon of Capistrano. Right. Why is your wife so cross-eyed? <laughs> look at yeah. Doesn't this look cooler than that guy's non-spiky helmet? <laughs> <laughs> There's no way Ron Chernow is listening to this, by the way. <laughs> Welcome to episode 18 of the Presequential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 and under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and little-known facts about every American president. Season 2 is sponsored by Greek's Pizzeria. Go to greekspizzeria.com to order your delicious pizza today. Greek's Pizzeria, it's our taste. I'm your host, Ryan Allward, joined by... Blaine Zimmerman. I could use a hug. You need a hug? I could use a hug today, too. (laughs) Today was today. Oh, I see. What you're, are you are you teeing up who we're talking about? Sure am. All right. Well, I'll give you a hug if you need one. Also, <laughs> and our producer and vice president extraordinaire Russ Slivka. Blaine, you pick all the presidential biographies and the booze that we drink while we're recording episodes. So walk us through the book and the booze, if you would. Uh, the book is aptly titled "Grant" by Ron Chernow. Uh, it is a tome. Coming in at 959 pages, written in 2017, and the title of this episode is The Sphinx. You're going to have to walk me through this one. It was one of his nicknames. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well. And tonight we are drinking Chattanooga whiskey, a straight bourbon whiskey from Chattanooga, one of the more decisive battles of the Civil War, so I felt it was fitting. We were also discussing this before. I thought it was quite shocking that there's not like a Grant-themed whiskey. Yeah. Like called Whiskey Ring or something along those yeah. lines. How many whiskey or bourbon episodes have we had? Oh, a lot. Several to many. Yeah. Yeah. Horse Soldier was the one that kicked everything off with Washington. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They need a Grant whiskey. They do. Yeah. I wonder if there's like a Grant line of cigars. Oh, you would I think, think about be, that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is this actually made in Chattanooga? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's literally oh, blazoned the... into the bottle made mm-hmm. in Chattanooga, Tennessee. There it is. <laughs> what do you call that? When it's embossed. Like embossed, yeah. yeah. Embossed. It's got a nice... I haven't even taken a sip. It does smell nice, though. Here's what it sounds like. It's a batch number 21 Bravo 17 Romeo. It's a rich malt-flavored approach to bourbon. Ooh. I like that a lot. On first sip. A handful mm-hmm. of uh, rocks in there. Cheers. Yeah. The Sphinx. Let's, Here we go. Number 18. Russ, across the table. There you go. Cheers, buddy. A running page tally, if you care. Oh, it is good. 8,491. Oh. <laughs> what do you guys remember about Grant from your high school social study government days? Unconditional surrender Grant. Okay. Uh, Civil War general. Yeah. Appomattox courthouse. President. Beard. Uh, that's it. Yeah. I, I also remember Appomattox winning the Civil War. $50 bill. Mm-hmm. That's. Uh, I think I might have known that he died of throat cancer or, mm-hmm. or had a tongue issue. I do not remember a thing, though, about his presidency. And I really enjoyed this book. It was good. It was very good. The The upside of Chernow is you get a... Uh, it really is an awesome, you know, birth-to-death legacy. Oh, yeah. And like all these no rich stories in unturned. there. The downside is that it's 950. that there pages. is no stone unturned. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> I was... I was wondering today as I was reviewing my notes, like who he's working on next and how much time that must take to to really dive into. Yeah, because this. this is the same guy that wrote our Washington book mm-hmm. and the book about Alexander Hamilton that the play was based on. Yeah. So, yeah, famous. Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. 
Anyway. Yeah, I don't really remember, though, much about his Who, presidency. by the way, we're going to start hearing about in the next few presidents, I believe. Who's that? The Pulitzer. Oh. Ed- Edward oh. Pulitzer. Okay. Yeah, he comes into play like in the late huh. 1800s okay. uh, with some of the presidential stories. Was he like a newspaper man? Mm-hmm. Or, or, I mean, yeah. Maybe, was he alongside uh, Hearst? I don't remember. Okay. Probably. Maybe I've seen Newsies too many times. <laughs> Newsies? Oh, have you not seen Newsies? No. Wow. I'm not, not surprised not by that. the sitcom with no. Joe Rogan? No, it's a fantastic <laughs> Disney-produced musical. What was that show called? <laughs> news Radio. Yeah, <laughs> News Radio. No, it's good. It's, it's, it's good. Uh, Christian Bale is in Newsies. Oh. And also one so of the actors the from, I want to say. Where is she? From Growing Pains. <laughs> I think one of the people in Growing Pains was in Newsies as well. Alan Thicke? No, uh-uh, not that big of a role. Was Bernadette? Uh-oh. Anyway. We're, Leonardo we're... DiCaprio, he was in Growing Pains. He was in Growing Pains. Yeah. Show me that smile again. <laughs> uh, Alan Thicke wrote that theme song. Yeah. Don't hey, 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 hey. Let's dive in. We're going into the early life of Ulysses S. Grant. Ulysses S. Grant was born in Point Pleasant, Ohio on April 27th, 1822 and raised in the village of Georgetown. At his birth, his parents, Jesse Root and Hannah Simpson Grant, named him Hiram Ulysses, and his mother always called him Ulysses or Liss. And, yeah, so he got made fun of a lot. He did. Because his initials spelled hug, mm-hmm. and his mom called him Liss. Mm. So, yeah, that was... He he wasn't a fan of his own name. No, <laughs> was it we'll get a little bit down the line how his name changed uh, it was a really interesting story when he was two years old this was interesting his dad shot off a pistol in front of his son thinking that it would make him cry or something and actually young ulysses actually loved it and he was like huh. do it again and so all, already he was learning about he was like do it again <laughs> loud noises but uh you think why because- is everything ringing <laughs> And that's how my son got tinnitus. Yeah. Uh, but later in the Civil War, he was really known as being scareless. You know, <clears throat> Jesse was a, a tanner, mm-hmm. uh, not not like one of the three guys that lived raising the children in Full House. Right. But, but DJ Tanner. Yeah. He was Danny. Yeah. <laughs> he was a a tanner for a tannery, meaning they made leather. So this was before fake tans. So different kind of tanners. The man that owned the tannery yes. was Owen Brown, father of John, John Brown. Brown. Mm, that's fun. That's yeah. a cool link to American history. Well, yes, at an early age, young Ulysses worked on his family farm alongside his dad, Jesse, and developed a keen sensitivity towards animals and anyone around him who was bullied or defenseless. Uh, he was, Which he, was usually him. Yes, he was a smaller person. He was bullied. He was quiet. He was more of an introvert. and Liz. The, Liss, and his name spelled Hug. Uh, He attended local schools that bored him, and other children mistook his quietness for stupidity, nicknaming him Useless. He was later appointed to West Point. I get it. Yeah, yeah. A little play on words there. Yeah. Yeah. I want to do the West Point story. Go for it. This is one of my favorite stories. 1839. Go ahead, Blake. So... You need a senator to give you a letter of recommendation to like confirm your appointment to West Point. Mm-hmm. Right? So his dad was relatively active in local politics, and this is going to be a recurring theme with his dad. Writes this senator to get him the appointment to West Point. At the time, it was common for people to take their mother's maiden name 
as their middle name. Hmm. So his mother's maiden's name, I don't remember what it was. Simpson. Simpson, yeah. So because everybody called him Ulysses, he just assumed his name was Ulysses S. Grant. So he put it on the official appointment to West Point. Due to that clerical error, the United States government formally recognized his name as Ulysses S. Grant, and that's why everyone assumes that's his name. His name was never Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah. It's never been real, but like that was on all of his military documents. It was on like his social security card if he had one. Yeah. Everything. Like that's where he got the the US Grant moniker. He just went with it. He did rearrange the initials on his suitcase when he was going to West Point from hug to ug. Yeah. U H G. Because he knew uh, let's yeah. proactively uh, defend against. Uh, yeah. For whatever reason, he really hated the Hiram part. I don't remember. I don't remember uh-huh. if he was like named after a woman or something like that. It's probably but, in there somewhere. There yeah. would always be family names that they would use. Well, his fellow cadets nicknamed him Uncle Sam mm-hmm. or Sam for short, which was a nickname that stuck with him throughout his life. While he was at West Point, Grant proved himself to be good at math and had excellent equestrian skills. But he was bored by the military curriculum and he often took great interest in the required art courses and he spent much of his leisure time reading classic novels and painting. He was placed in the infantry instead of the cavalry due to his low grades and class rank. He was kind of middle of the class, 21 out of 39 classmates. He also did like a big equestrian performance at graduation that like lived on forever. He was really good on a horse. Even at the age of five, I believe Mm -hmm. he was, he was like a sort of a horse whisperer of of sorts. And and like he, he rode standing up on the back of a horse at age five. Mm -hmm. So already this guy is destined to do great things on horseback. He, he married his West Point roommate sister. He went to West Point with multiple famous civil war generals, Longstreet, Lee, Sherman, Jackson, Pickett, McClellan. Man, that is a stacked class. They were all in the same. Well, they I don't know if they same, were all in the same class. Same time, but yeah. yeah, group yeah. of cadets and then there. They, well, they'll come back up. Yes, they will. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple times. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he married his roommate sister uh, at West Point. Her name was Julia Boggs Dent of St. Louis. He married her on August 22nd of 1848. She was the daughter of a St. Louis merchant and plantation owner, which was really a point of contention for Grant's abolitionist parents. Unbeknownst to the groom, all three of his southern groomsmen, including James Longstreet, Mm -hmm. who mentioned Blaine, would fight against him during the Civil War. So his three guys that stood up along with him would soon, well, foreshadowing, they would be actually surrendering to him at Appomattox years later. Yeah, his father-in-law wasn't a huge fan of him either. No. Like, his family didn't like the Dents. Yeah. Mr. Dent was not a big fan of him either. The Grants would go on to have three sons and one daughter. Their son, Frederick, would eventually become Assistant Secretary of War under President William McKinley. Let's talk about the Mexican War, because that happens soon after he graduates from West Point. He's assigned to the 4th U.S. Infantry at Jefferson Barracks in St. Louis. That infantry took part in the military occupation of Texas, and Grant served during the war with General Zachary Taylor and Old Fuss and Feathers Winfield Scott, (laughs) proving himself a valuable officer. I found this interesting. While he was under General Scott, he served as regimental quartermaster, Uh, giving him an invaluable knowledge of army supply, which would really serve him greater, uh, greatly rather during the civil war years later. That's one of the things that throughout history, like most historical gaffes from generals have come from 
outrunning supply lines. Mm. And that's one of the reasons he was so good at being a general was because of his experience early in his career as a quartermaster. He understood the importance of supply. Like it's not all, you know, fight the enemy, right? Chase the enemy, keep fighting the enemy. Like you you can only do so much without food, water, ammunition, clothes, Mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah, Yeah. various things. As we learned from the Revolutionary War. It's interesting to see how those circumstances in his life prime him for really future leadership. Like in in that moment, I don't know if he's really aware of. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to be a quartermaster officer. He uh, participated. What? (laughs) They still don't. He participated in the capture of Mexico City and was promoted to the rank of first lieutenant by the end of the war. Grant had several more postings following the Mexican War, including New York, Michigan, and the frontier out west. He was actually his first post after the war was Sackett's Harbor in New York. It's right where Fort Drum is now. Uh, it's about 20 minutes north of Fort Drum. Okay. There's still a preserved 1812 battlefield mm. there. Oh, neat. Uh, it's right by where Jenny and I used to live when I was stationed at Fort Drum. How long were you up there? Four years. Okay. Yeah. There's a great breakfast place up there. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should go. <laughs> That's a fun little tangent. Yeah. <laughs> Is it better than just Judy's where the idea for this podcast was born here different. in Indy? It's different. different. Okay. It's a little more upscale. Ah, it's not so much uh, It's like a spirit. kind of a hipster. Yeah place but another good pizza place good fellows uh, yeah yeah shout out to good fellows in second hey harbor yeah make sure you get your pizza not as good greeks, as greeks though. yeah not as good as greeks <laughs> <laughs> he gets promoted to captain august 1853 and uh he then gets assigned to fort humboldt california which was a really dreary post with a very unpleasant commanding officer and it was on april 11th 1854 shortly after when he resigned from the army and a lot of people thought that this was influenced for his fondness of alcohol which was really a theme throughout his life he was about which, to get court-martialed for it yeah and there were themes of when grant did tend to drink. I mean, he often got slandered as a drunk, not just in politics, but during the war. And it usually happened when he was off very, very far away for extended mm-hmm. periods of time without being around Julia. Julia, because yeah. Julia stopped him Correct. from drinking. There was something about, to, like, he made, like, a pit stop in Panama for some reason on the way to mm-hmm. Humboldt. And I can't remember what the story was, but, like, he got into some mischief in Panama hmm. on the way over. I mean, yeah. Which is, you know, on the way from New York to California. Well, it's that way. And then you hang a right and then you go around the entire. Maybe it was because of the drinking. He was just drifting. <laughs> just out there. Huh. Look at this. An isthmus. How are we going to get across there? So his father actually wrote someone who we'll probably talk about soon, Jefferson Davis. Yeah, man. To try to get him to not accept his resignation. And I thought that between his father and father-in-law had Mm -hmm. to have been a rough, like, early 20s for him because he's got his father meddling in his career. Yes. Trying to get him more important roles and more important assignments. And he's got his father-in-law that doesn't want him in the military. Wants to undermine him him at any cost. Yeah, that had to have been rough. It's interesting if you look at, okay, let's, let's take a little psychoanalysis angle here of male authority figures in Grant's life. It's interesting to think how Lincoln comes in and for many uh, intents would be the steady, like the guy who finally gives him, listen, I want you to do this one job and I'm on your side. Mm. You know, I I actually do believe in you. Yeah. Because <laughs> his dad. No when one's he, ever said that to me, Abe. <laughs> Thanks, dad. I mean, <laughs> Mr. President. <laughs> so this Why is a- Mary Todd so mean? <laughs> Why is your wife so cross-eyed? <laughs> Fell down a well, 
Eyes went crossed. <laughs> Kicked by a horse. Went back to cash. <laughs> okay. Okay, we're going to get it back on. Here we go. <laughs> oh, man. Grant feared that he would not be able to support his wife and family with military pay, and he set up a farm in St. Louis near his in-laws. This only lasted four years before he sold it, took a job back home at his father's tannery in Galena, Galena, Illinois. Yes, Galena. I was guessing Galena. Galena. He, like the farm work he did, he refused any help from Dent Sr. Right. And decided to start his own farm. I believe it was potatoes, right? Yeah. Like it was back-breaking work. Like he was... He worked his tail off. I think I remember reading like melons were in there at one point, and he was yeah. just like, "This isn't like, working." His life was failure after failure. Yeah, and so like the, he was like one of the only people that benefited from the Civil War. The Civil War was probably the best thing well, that happened to him as I mean, far as career this, stability. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, suppose that's a, that's probably not a great thing to say. There were a lot no. of people that benefited from the Civil War. Yes, I know what you mean, and I think <laughs> our listeners do too. <laughs> <laughs> he, he tried other avenues to earn money until the outbreak of the war. One bleak Christmas, he actually pawned his watch for $22 to buy presents for his family. After the Confederate attack on Fort Sumter in South Carolina on April 12, 1861, Grant attended a mass meeting in Galena and was stirred to enlist as a volunteer. He rejoined the military and was soon appointed colonel in the 21st Illinois Infantry by Governor Richard Yates. I have to make a uh, personal tangent here so richard yates dick yates dick yates richard yates is the name of my uncle who bought me this book is richard yates newton the third wait that's uncle dick oh shout out to uncle Dick. dick yeah his dad my papa my grandfather maternally was richard yates newton jr so when i read that i was like how do i know richard yates wow so i don't think there's a connection but it was just a pretty cool coincidence Yeah, and I would not have learned what I learned about Ulysses S. Grant without my uncle purchasing me this 959-page tome. So before he had even engaged the enemy, Grant was appointed Brigadier General through the influence of Elihu B. Washburn, a U.S. congressman from Galena. On learning this news, his father Jesse said, Be careful, Ulysses. You're a general now. It's a good job. Don't lose it. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for the shot of encouragement yeah. in the arm, Dad. And, and he was like, "Actually, that's, that's I think that's what I'm going to name my first album. You're a general now. <laughs> You're a general now." And, yeah. and that was like against Fremont's wishes, right? Like Fremont had yeah. relieved him of the 21st Illinois because Fremont always had it out for him for some reason. Yeah, and Fremont was kind of this ostentatious, showy, like his camp. Yeah, he was the really California opulent. guy, yeah. and like he really wanted to like rest on his laurels from from the California stuff. Yeah. I, I don't remember. He, I think he tried to take credit for like it becoming a state. I think he also issued an emancipation Oh, bef- that's like right. a statement before Lincoln issued yeah. the actual proclamation, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was real like always tried to be in the right time in the right place, but everybody right. saw right through him. He was a presidential candidate at one point, too. Wasn't oh, we'll he? get into that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, well, Grant actually uh despite his dad's gosh backhanded compliment i think uh (laughs) gained command of the district of southeast missouri headquartered in cairo illinois he led the capture soon after of fort donelson in tennessee along the cumberland river on february some date of 1862 which was the first major union victory and when the garrison's commander requested grant's terms for surrender grant replied this is great no terms except unconditional surrender can be accepted i propose to move immediately upon your works 
And thus the nickname, Unconditional Surrender Grant. There it is. He was promoted to Major General of the U.S. Volunteers, and grateful Northerners inundated him with gifts of cigars after it was reported that he smoked one during the attack. Yeah, they were playing the long game. Yeah, they were. Gosh. (laughs) They were like, we'll get rid of this guy. Yeah. (laughs) It's horrible. (laughs) You take that back. Uh, other key victories under Grant's leadership uh, during the Civil War included Lookout Mountain, Missionary Ridge, and the Siege of Vicksburg in Mississippi. Shiloh was like the big black spot, though. Yeah. And he almost resigned after the Shiloh. He was able to actually, with his like own resolve, save it to a draw. Mm-hmm. But that battle had more casualties in that single battle than every previous war combined. Yeah. Like the Civil War, I mean, we talk about numbers quite a bit. When I say we, like the royal we, like people bring up the Civil War, just the sheer number of casualties. But to think about that one battle, having more casualties than every war previous to that. Granted, there were Mexican and Revolutionary War of 1812. I don't know if we're considering Creek and French and Indian, like, but still. In in two days of fighting, maybe three days of fighting. Yeah. And then Sherman had to convince him to not resign which man sherman that's one of those guys i wish he was president so we could do an episode on him maybe we need to do a bonus episode for fantastic for our patrons on patreon there's a there's a really good book about william tecumseh sherman Mm -hmm. that i would highly recommend we actually saw a portrait of sherman at the benjamin harrison a signed portrait of sherman which we'll get to that's going to be a really exciting episode episode 23 i think anyway so soon after he's appointed to be major general of the regular army on march 1864 president lincoln names him as the commander of all union forces lincoln had finally found his man so hold on there's a couple things we have to address go ahead so general order 11 yep do you want to chime in on this at all no. no, okay. No says Russ. So he, when he was in what Cairo, I think yeah. there was a problem with people like stealing supplies, or there were merchants that were taking supplies and selling them back to soldiers at like exorbitant rates and things like that. Yeah, Grant essentially unilaterally decided that it was Jewish people that were doing this. Yeah, and banned all Jewish people from army camps. Is that correct? Expelled from the. De- Department, uh, I believe, of the Treasury. I can't remember. But yes, it, it was uh, Chernow writes. Definitely a dark spot on his resume. It was the most sweeping anti-Semitic action undertaken in American history. And Grant really atoned. Up, up till then. Up, okay. up, up till then, Russ. Okay. <laughs> but Grant really, I mean, even up to his deathbed, was working to atone for those sins. Yeah. I think later in the book, I read that he was the first president to be present at the dedication of a synagogue, I think. And it was still one of those things that came up later in his presidency as far as the campaign. Well, the campaign, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. More of an ad hominem attack. Yeah, go ahead. But when he was announced as the general of the Army of the Potomac, Mm -hmm. he ironically fell off his horse and shattered his leg. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. For someone who is such a great equestrian. Horseman. Yeah. There were also moments within the war where, and maybe it was some sort of foreshadowing when he had a gun go off by his face when he was two, but there was a really interesting story. I can't remember the battle, but there was a soldier from Wisconsin. I remember that for some reason. Wisconsin. Who, Wisconsin, who was being taken on a stretcher by General Grant as uh, just a giant ammunition shell went off. And he reported, he's like, he didn't even flinch. I mean, it came across like three feet from him. He actually commanded one of his 
uh, subordinates to go get the shell and, because he wanted to learn what the Confederates were firing at him, mm-hmm. which was really battle, interesting. It's called a BDA. What's that? A battle damage assessment. Ooh, okay. It's how you can determine like what type of munition it was, like roughly how far away it came from and yeah. the direction and things like that. I don't know if it was that involved. Oh, those dog-eared pages. There's so many dog-eared pages in this book. It, it, it was... Yeah, this is uh, page 389 of Grant by Ron Chernow. Yeah, he, he told his new aide, Captain Peter Hudson, quote, Hudson, get that shell. Let's see what kind of ammunition they're using. With his odd composure, Grant smoked and wrote dispatches, seemingly unaware of having barely escaped death mr Chernow, if you're listening i apologize for ryan's dog-eared pages oh yeah uh, this this is uh I, there's several to many on there there's multiple hurts my heart that's what i do and i write in the margins and write notes to myself <laughs> i wrote lol on one page and a funny <laughs> joke <laughs> there's no way ron Chernow is listening to this by the way <laughs> So after he was general of Army of the Potomac, yeah. the Battle of Chattanooga, which shout out Chattanooga whiskey, yeah. Douglas MacArthur's father, yes, he was the one that carried the Union flag to the mountaintop at Chattanooga upon the Union victory. And if you don't know who uh, who Blaine is referring to, this is Douglas MacArthur, commander of the Allied forces later under Eisenhower. Uh-huh. Yes. Truman. Yeah, Truman. Truman fired him. Yeah. So interesting lineage of of that, you know, Civil War and then World War II. Yeah. yeah. He was an interesting guy. Yeah. We'll get into that later. That's amazing courage to go up a mountain holding a flag while you're getting shot at. I mean, was it more or less courage than the dudes out front drumming? Like, gosh, that just reminds me of the scene in Glory at the end. One of my favorite movies, not even just war movies, just one of my favorite movies of all time. Just yeah, imagine, just, like, what? It, well, I'm here to volunteer. Yeah. Like, can I have my gun? Like, ooh, got? Mm. Can you carry a beat? Uh, <laughs> I heard your mixtape. I've got a got a job for you. Yeah, pick up that snare over there. We only got one stick though, so you're gonna have to find another one. Make it work. <laughs> Thus, Def Leppard was born. <laughs> what else do you have about the Civil War? Because my next note is uh, Appomattox. So he was the first person to be bestowed the rank of Lieutenant General. Since George Washington, it was possibly in part because Lincoln was kind of concerned he might run for president Mm. upon Lincoln's second term. So he was kind of like trying to keep him close to the vest. Mm -hmm. He immediately won Lincoln over, though. Uh, Lincoln was said to have said that he finally had a real general. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We did. We kind of outlined in, in Lincoln's episode like it was just, you know, failure after failure. Right. So one of the big uh, morale tides of the war changed when Grant decided not to retreat after the Battle of Rapidon. The soldier morale was like, oh, this guy's awesome. Mm. Like, that, I mean, obviously, like people are dying and there's lots of body parts around, but like we're not quitting. That's yeah. great. So when Lincoln was about to run for his second term, Grant did say, I'm not a candidate for office. Uh, but I would like to be mayor of Galena long enough to fix the sidewalks, especially the one leading up to my house. Mm. <laughs> and then after the Civil War, when he went back home and visited, he yeah. had noticed that someone had read that in the paper and they had fixed the sidewalk in front of his house. I love that. <laughs> I love that. So he read a lot of telegrams off that McClellan was in the lead. Like he, I, I feel like I think he was with Sherman and he kept reading Sherman telegrams that McClellan was beating Lincoln in the... <laughs> in the election as a practical joke. 
It's great. Like he thought it was funny. It's great. To, like, and everybody was like, oh man, that guy sucks. <laughs> like, I can't believe he's going to be president. And then he was like, ah, gotcha. You just got punked. Uh, and then he started pointing at all the cameras. <laughs> There's a guy over there who was like, <laughs> wait, now everybody hold still for seven minutes. Don't move. <laughs> so, as a last ditch effort before Appomattox, yeah. uh, General Lee decided he was going to force slaves to fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by then it was it was far too late and Grant didn't realize that Lee was about to surrender. So you you have to like realize like Lee was the head of the class that Grant graduated in. Like he was the general's general like everybody respected him on both sides. He was very well renowned. Actually after Gettysburg, Lee was actually to blame for the strategy and tactics that caused Gettysburg to fall. Mm. No one wanted to blame Lee because he was so revered. So everybody just blamed Longstreet. Interesting. And Longstreet had such respect for Lee and knew what it meant to his legacy. He just took it. Mm. So Grant didn't expect Lee to actually surrender when he did. So when he showed up to the Appomattox courthouse, he was wearing an old uniform, dirty boots and no sword. Mm-hmm. He just wasn't expecting the surrender. And so, Grant was already the kind of guy, I think he had like his, uh, uh, what is that? Epaulets? Yeah. Sewn onto like a private's jacket. I mean, he yeah. was just, a, I mean, the quote that you just shared a while back about the crack on the sidewalk and Galena and wanting to be mayor, I think that speaks to his humility. There was a moment after the actual surrender at Appomattox where he had almost forgotten, like he had to be reminded by an aide to say, you need to send a message to Washington to let them know <laughs> yeah. what just happened. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he sits down and in nothing. I mean, it's not self-congratulatory at all. He basically says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not quoting here, but he says they have they've capitulated to the terms. They've surrendered. Huzzah. And well, he learned that from Taylor. Remember in the Mexican War when he was like, the the fighting has commenced. The fighting has commenced. (laughs) Right. Brevity. Yeah. Yeah. That that, uh, Appomattox that we're talking about is in Virginia uh, on April 9th, 1865, when Grant accepts Lee's surrender. The South's defeat had, interestingly enough, saddened Grant. He wrote in his personal memoirs many years later that he felt sad and depressed at the downfall of a foe who had fought so long and valiantly and had suffered so much for a cause, though that cause was, I believe, one of the worst for which a people ever fought. He really made the terms of surrender very lenient. He He, let them keep their arms. And their mules, I think, too, Mm -hmm. to say, go home, lay down your arms when you get home. He made sure that there would be no treason trials later, when actually there was, I think, some sort of legislation or, or some sort of like circuit judge basically pushed for punitive Mm-hmm. trial against Lee Grant was infuriated years later. Well, and they went after Jefferson Davis hard. Actually, a uh, little um what do you call it? The theophany. theophany. Uh when Jefferson Davis was I guess you'd call it captured, arrested, they like walked him through the town like as a show. Mm. And Woodrow Wilson was a child standing on the street yes, watching right. it happen. Yeah, was that in Georgia? Where yeah. was that? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When he was just a little kid. He was like four or five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting episode, too, because Wilson definitely grew up in the South. Yet he's, oh, you know. He sure did. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. 
Immediately five days after Appomattox, President Lincoln invited the Grants to see the play Our American Cousin at Ford's Theater with him, but they turned him down as they had another engagement visiting family out of town. Why did... No, no, absolutely that, that not. That was the cover. That is not why they <laughs> didn't go the, to that, that play. That was the cover. Why did they not go to the play? They didn't like Mary Todd. Yeah, yeah. no one liked Mary and Todd. And Mary Todd did not like them because she was Because she didn't like anyone. Well, she was also very jealous about all the attention that was going on to yeah. Grant as opposed to her husband. Also, she was jealous of Julia's money and family background. Yeah, she was just a real peach. Yeah. And so the Grants said, uh, we got this thing. Thanks, but no thanks. Thank you. And the president, yeah. actually, Lincoln understood, right? He was like, well. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah I, get I it. live with her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so when he was leaving Washington, and I think we talked about this in the Lincoln episode, mm-hmm. when he was leaving Washington, John Wilkes Booth saw him get into the carriage yeah. and wanted to confirm it was him because there yeah. was supposed to be an assassination plot on Grant, Seward, Lincoln, Johnson. Johnson. It was going to be a coup d'etat. Yeah. And Grant had this weird habit that he liked to ride up front with the dude driving the carriage. Yeah. And so he's sitting like shotgun and Booth rides up next to him, like close enough that they could see each other, like the white of their eyes Mm -hmm. to confirm it's him. And Mm -hmm. he recognized him. Of course. He recognized Booth. Yeah. And was like, he was kind of like the George Clooney of the day. He was like, well, that was weird. Yeah. Like, he had an uneasy feeling. Yeah. Like he was like, something's going on. Yeah. And Grant, interestingly, I mean, Chernow dove into this too a little bit. There were times when Grant and Julia were very superstitious. This is somewhat of a tangent, but to that point where he could sense something was amiss. Grant and Julia often turned to like mystics and uh, psychics. There was one point oh, where he was Reagan. fighting in the Mexican War and Julia had this uh, apparition appear to her. She and was it like, was, my psychic said it's not a day for press conferences. <laughs> Listen, Dion Warwick. <laughs> said so it must be true but uh anyway and that's where nancy got it from nancy they were going on vacation right they had a vacation home in like long island i think they were going to go see his daughter in either new jersey or philadelphia somewhere on the coast yeah they were going to go to the coast and get out of town but grant was actually informed of the president's assassination when his train stopped later that night and later described lincoln's death as the darkest day of my life. Despite being a potential target himself, Grant was convinced he would have somehow stopped Booth from pulling the trigger if he were in the booth with Lincoln. You know what? I believe that. Yeah. I mean, it depends on like how quietly he walked up behind him, but like I feel like he at least would have tackled him immediately. Yeah. yeah. You would think that he would have done something. I mean, yeah. he'd certainly I mean, he would was, have risen. He's to been the having guns go off by his head since he was two. Yeah, he definitely would have kept his cool. Yeah. Yeah. Getting a little bit down the story before we take our break, but Grant initially supported new president Andrew Johnson's appointment to president, but eventually grew disenchanted with him. He would serve as Johnson's secretary of war. Johnson made him a four star, which was the also the first since Washington. Yeah, he served for two years, 1867 and 68, and would serve in command of the military until 1869. So you him being secretary of war, he knew that was going to be a temporary position because he knew that Johnson was going to get hemmed up for firing Seward. Mm. That was one of the uh, reasons Johnson got impeached was because he fired Seward. Correct. Yeah. So he knew, and he had respect for Seward. And Mm -hmm. so he, I think he told Seward something along the lines of like, look, I know you're going to take this job back. Like I'll, I'll keep the seat warm for you. Was it Seward or Stanton? 
Sorry. It was okay. Stanton. Sorry. Stanton was kind of trying to keep things together, too, yeah. when Lincoln was assassinated. Yeah. He it's, was sort of the stopgap. In my defense, they shouldn't have had a Stanton and a Seward in such close... Yeah. Sure. That's, yeah. that's, that's on them. That's, really, their, that's their problem. <laughs> hey, we're going to refresh our uh, Chattanooga whiskey. Whiskey. Yeah, yeah. And uh, let you hear from another of our fantastic sponsors. You are listening to episode 18, The Sphinx of the Presequential Podcast. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you need custom-made t-shirts for your team or organization, look no further than our good friends here in Indy, The Art Press. The Art Press is a local, eco-friendly small business that's been around for years here in Indy, designing and printing all the super comfortable shirts you may have seen through their parent company's store, Vardigan. We've worked with them on our awesome new shirts that feature Thomas Jefferson riding a fire-breathing mastodon, and our experience couldn't have gone better. If you need help creating a design or you have your artwork ready to print, Derek and the team at The Art Press can help you get your orders set up online quickly and easily. Plus, they ship everywhere and offer excellent customer service. Get a quote on your order of shirts today at theartpress.com. That's theartpress.com. Welcome back to episode 18, The Sphinx sponsored by Greek's Pizzeria. Go to greekspizzeria.com for a delicious Pizza pie tonight, wherever you <laughs> may be. It's so, our taste. It's our taste. I do enjoy the Greeks pizza. It is tasty. In 1868, Grant was unanimously nominated to be the Republican candidate for president and threw himself a pizza party sponsored by Greeks, <laughs> in part because he had stood against Andrew Johnson. He easily won against opponent Horatio Seymour with 72% of the electoral vote and somewhat reluctantly took office on March 4th, 1869 at age 46, the youngest man elected president up to that point. President Andrew Johnson did not attend the ceremony. So, so his father-in-law used to sit around in the White House and just argue with politicians that were waiting for a meeting with Grant. <laughs> Down the lobby. He was like, they were like, who are you? And he's like, I'm rich. I yeah. can do this. I'm from Missouri. Yeah. What yeah. are you going to do about it? Yeah. That guy over there that he ruined my daughter's life. Yeah. We've got to live in this crappy place. Yeah. <laughs> he does have a nice beard. I'll give him that. It yeah. looks like Robin Williams. <laughs> Piercing blue eyes. Beautiful blue eyes. Listen, I'm from St. Louis. We're going to have an arch one day and you're all going to be like, anyway. Was it there yet? When is, how long, how old is that? Oh, that's definitely modern era. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Huh. I I don't know. It seems like one of those things that, like, maybe that's how Lewis and Clark knew to go that way. (gasps) They were like, oh, we'll just go through that. (laughs) That looks pretty obvious. Is that, so we're sure it's not one of those, like, ancient (laughs) alien things? I'm sure there's someone out there who was like, it, it was, was aliens. It was for sure the aliens. Yeah. They're from Neptune. They flew and landed. Russ, do you oh, have the answer? <laughs> Nor I, I've been chafing lately a little bit at assigning you, hey, Russ, look those up. <laughs> yes, I have chafed. You get some, into, like, some uh, blue rub. Gold bond. Yeah. Uh, Russ, what? give us the story on the St. Louis Arch. First of all, I'm happy to look up anything, so don't <laughs> listen to Blade. Thank That's you. like half of my thing. I just always feel bad when you're like, Russ. Look that, Look that up. up. Okay. Yeah, don't snap. <laughs> cicadas, cicadas. The St. Louis Arch, uh-huh. founded by the National Park Service in 1935. Mm. Oh, okay. To Go commemorate Wolf. Thomas Jefferson's vision of a transcontinental United States. Oh, wow. so it's woolly mammoth related. Yeah. Woolly mammoth yeah. related. Thank you, Russ, for that insight. <laughs> Very much. 
And we're back uh, onto the tracks now. Grant was a political novice when he became president. He had never held any elected position, and he had shown little interest in running for office before the Republican Party nominated him as its candidate. While Grant was president at the beginning, Reconstruction was the key issue for him. Uh, Mm -hmm. War was still fresh in the minds of the country, and Grant continued the military occupation of the South. In addition, he fought for black suffrage because many Southern states had been denying them the right to vote. Two years after taking over the presidency, the 15th Amendment was passed that stated that no one could be denied the right to vote based on race. And we fixed it. That's fixed everything, right? 15th Amendment, everything Just, was fixed. We're all good now, right? Yep. No, no, we're not. Yeah, there wasn't any, like, you know, people murdering folks in the streets without any repercussions at all the 15th amendment just fixed it all. there was much of that happening that was the actually. first time i think i've ever caused you to be speechless <laughs> i was like wait a second what? What? what flashing forward a little bit but grant and the uh, ku klux klan had i mean he took them on yeah like with the wartime passion of uh he sure general. did yeah, yeah he was yeah. against them well yes. nathan bedford forrest was by all counts, a relatively garbage human. Yeah. And he, that, I think they had history too, because I think Forrest was a mm. Confederate colonel or general. I wouldn't be surprised if he were. I yeah. think he was I definitely, think, yeah. I yeah. think they fought each other yeah. in yeah. a couple of battles. Mm. And so they had history priors, if you will. So there was not only Reconstruction, but we're still with the issue post Trail of Tears. Yeah. And there were a lot of people that in Congress that wanted to simply eradicate the Native American. Yeah. And Grant was one of the first proponents of the concept of reservations. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, good, bad, or indifferent where you stand on that. But I I suppose it's better than eliminating a lot of people. Grant was a supporter of Native American rights. He had actually appointed Eli S. Parker, who was a member of the Seneca tribe, as Commissioner of Indian Affairs. However, he also signed a bill ending the Indian Treaty System, which had established Native American groups as sovereign states. So that new law basically treated them as wards of the federal government. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's he was, where the reservation stuff comes from. He was in. the first president to appoint a Native American that high within, I mean, regardless of the status, I mean, he was the first one to appoint them. To he that. was also the first president to appoint an African American public official in the White House. Yes. Oscar uh, J. Is it, I can't read my handwriting. Uh, it's in Louisiana. I've got uh, that. Yeah. Note he's as from well. Louisiana. Oscar yeah. J. Dean, maybe. Uh, Dunn. Uh, Dunn. Okay. Lieutenant Sorry. Governor Oscar J. Dunn of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First president to invite and meet with a black public official at the White House. That's correct. Yeah. 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 Black Friday, not the Black Friday of many years to follow. Uh, was that Black mm-hmm. Thursday? Monday. Black Friday. Black Monday, thank you. Uh, September 24th, 1869, there were two speculators named Jay Gould and James Fisk who tried to buy up enough gold to corner the gold market while keeping Grant from dumping federal gold onto the market. They drove up the price of gold quickly before Grant realized what was going on and was able to add enough gold onto the market to bring the price down. However, many investors and businesses were ruined because of this. And two members, I think, of his cabinet were involved. It was Corbin and General Butterfield, who famously... Wrote Butterfield's Lullaby. Do you know I, what that is? I don't know Butterfield's Lullaby. You do know Butterfield's Lullaby. I've heard of Butterface, but I you, haven't heard of Butterfield. Butterfield's <laughs> Lullaby, okay. better known today as Taps. Oh, okay. I've got another connection to Taps. Can I please share it? <laughs> yes, go ahead. So, my grandfather, again, Richard mm-hmm. Yates Newton yep. Jr. His son bought me the book, shout out to Uncle Dick, hello, Mm -hmm. is buried, not even a stone's throw, like a stone's limp toss from Butterfield's grave Oh, at West Point. 
Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So for those that didn't know, mm. Taps was originally known cool. as Butterfield's Lullaby. Lullaby. Uh, it was like one of their their mm. war hymns wow. at the time. He wrote it, and it wow. became Taps. Hearing Taps played at my papa's funeral service by Butterfield's grave was extremely surreal for me. Did you hear, know hear, at the hear, time Butterfield wrote it? I did. Oh, okay. I, I was like, that. you just didn't know it was called. I didn't know it was okay. Butterfield's lullaby. No, but that was extremely surreal for me. That's a really cool insight, Blaine. Thank you for sharing that. Man, I like this episode a lot. I got one. Yeah, you did it. Way to go. <laughs> I feel like this is a good time to bring in our vice presidential. Yeah. His vice president was expert uh, in that, right? Was he involved in that scandal? There's there's a lot of scandal that was involved in Grant's administration. Or was administration. he the whiskey ring? No, he was the credit mobilier. Uh, oh, yes. yes 1872. Let's yeah, bring in Russ. Yeah. Russ, uh, yes, you've been here this whole time. The French. The French. You've been here this whole time. Russ waiting patiently to drop some amazing knowledge about Grant's not one but two vice presidents. He was a two-termer, so bring us the knowledge, man. Yeah, so his first term, the VP, was Skyler Colfax. From? Indiana. Hey, fellow Hoosier. Shout out to the Colfaxes. Yeah. Shout out to the Skyler Colfaxes. Oh, Mm. Angelica. Drink. Peggy. And Peggy. Oh, crap, I got a drink. Thank Mm -hmm. you. He grew up in Indiana, so New, Car- New Carlisle, and then he moved to South Bend. Oh, okay. Where's New Carlisle, Indiana? I have no idea. Next to Old Carlisle. If only there were a laptop in front of me. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Guys. So his stepdad was the county auditor in South Bend and brought him on through, I don't know, nepotism as his deputy. And as his deputy, he also ran the newspaper in South Bend. Hmm. It was called the Indiana State Journal. Daily Gazette Times. (laughs) Sun. Constitution. Yeah. So he was the politics reporter for that. Okay. And then he bought another newspaper called the St. Joseph Valley Register. So he owned that newspaper. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And he continued to report on politics mm. for that newspaper. Did he write the comic section as well? Was he the forerunner of Kathy? Mm. Did crossword? Oh, ack, ack. oh Did, God, the worst. Did Notre Dame exist yet? The cathedral or the university? The university. Mm. Let me okay, check. cool. That's a good question. <laughs> Let me check. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be. I'm well, because like I would right assume. Now. I mean, if you're writing newspaper in South Bend. I w- you know I would assume that's something you're covering. Is yeah. sure. Well, he was politics. Founded in 1842. Oh. Yep, it oh, was around. There you go. Oh, cool. Yeah. Right okay. around there. Yep. Um, <laughs> he was offsides. So he, <laughs> as he owned the newspaper. <laughs> go ahead, buddy. We're listening. Uh, as he owned the newspaper, he started slanting it to a pro Whig type of uh, party paper. Oh, so he had no plan. He had no plan. <laughs> yeah, it was all over the place. <laughs> While he was editor, he actually married the niece of former Vice President Benjamin Bluff Wade. Oh, was that the guy yeah. that we liked, or was that uh, that was, no, that was Benjamin Franklin? Hannibal something. Uh, Hannibal something. No, that's oh. the guy we liked. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was actually you know the one who was very pro-abolition, anti-slavery. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which really fed into the rest of. Skyler Colfax's... Um, so what did he do yeah. wrong? Oh, okay. So he was supposedly involved in the Credit Mobilier scandal. 1872. Mm-hmm. 1872, which was between... Well, it was the Union Pacific Railroad building the railroads. They were using the Credit Mobilier company as the contractor. Like so, skimming? Uh, like yeah. at the gas pump? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Skimming there was cards. Some, 
Well, the, it basically was. I mean, it should have cost $50 million to build the railroads, but Union Pacific it had hired Credit Mobilier and it ended up costing $94 million. Yeah. And the Union Pacific executives just pocketed the other $44 yeah. million. Oh, so that's not new? No. Right. No. No, okay. no, 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 no. It probably no. wasn't even new back then, but no. it was just the fact that he was the vice president that yeah. was going down. Yeah. yeah. So, and he, so and, how much of that $45 million did he... I, I don't think it was much. Okay. Yeah. And he obviously denied it till sure. the end of his days that he yeah. was involved at all. But because of that, he didn't run for re-election. He didn't think Grant was going to run for his second term. Yeah. And that's why he didn't So do who it. was his second vice president? His second vice president was Henry Wilson. That is a very milquetoast name. It yeah. is. Hank. Well, uh, it wasn't the name he was born with. The name he was just born like with. Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah. He's like, me too. <laughs> was Jeremiah... Jones Colbiff. <sighs> yeah, that's, right. That's a mouthful. Isn't there a famous Western called Jeremiah Jones? Colbiff? No, just Jeremiah there's Jones. There's a band I, called Jesus Jones. No, there's I'm pretty sure there's a Western, like a, a famous like movie spaghetti what no, maybe not spaghetti. Yeah, there's a movie, hmm. yeah. Yeah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Jones. Jeremiah Johnson. There Sorry. Oh, so nothing to do nope. with it. No. Yeah, yeah, cool. Sorry. Sidebar. So, yeah. Our listeners will never get those twelve seconds back. <laughs> <laughs> they might they, they might, might not even hear it. <laughs> Go ahead, Russ. Tell uh, us about uh He grew guy. up on a like a feudal farm. He was an indentured servant. Feudal farm. Okay. Is this the F-U-E-D. Is that what I said? Was well, this the 11th? I, I thought you meant futile. Um, oh, feudal. Maybe both. Got, got I don't it. know. It could be both. Did you so, just add an L to that both? both? Oh, don't do that. Sorry. Go ahead. Tell us about the Hank feudal Wilson. farm that yeah, 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 yeah. Farm. Hank Wilson. Yeah. Help, help, I'm being repressed. <laughs> help, help. Strange women lying in ponds distributing swords. You don't become king of some fossil aquatic talk and hurls a sword at you? So no, it's great. I just wanted to let it out. I knew there was more coming. Russ, go ahead. Yeah, 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 please. Yeah, please. We'll move this along. Please keep uh, shouting about Grant's second vice president. <laughs> go ahead, Russ. Hey, uh, well, he I didn't vote for you. <laughs> you don't vote for king. I'm author. You don't king vote of the for Britons. vice president. Who are you? <laughs> this is all good. Yeah, this is great. Come, Patsy. <laughs> okay. He left school when he was 10. Okay. He uh, actually, the remainder of his education was just through charitable organizations giving him books so he could, you know, learn by candlelight or however he <laughs> learned. I don't know. What's the hungry caterpillar? Yeah. <laughs> they all thought Lincoln was too... Um, soft on the south and too soft on anti-slavery basically mm. it's like room temperature butter yeah mm. if yeah. that yeah. i mean they i mean they all thought he was poor white trash i think mm. two of them had that exact quote because he wow. was so soft on it <clears throat> that phrase was around back then yeah wow maybe originated with them i don't know maybe they coined terrible it. gosh yeah so he became senator from massachusetts and then the speaker of the house and he was actually so anti-slavery that he was challenged to two or three duels because he would call senators out directly hmm. in his speeches his anti-slavery speeches wow. did he ever call out sumter sumter just Sum- sumner. the hell out of him with the cane oh <laughs> sumner just, no. yeah sumner yeah just got just destroyed on yeah. the senate floor yeah I'm, I'm 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 interested intrigued that in 1870s duels are still around yeah those sound like yeah, we had a big one it was called the civil war oh yeah yeah. Speaking of the Civil War, he was the chairman of the Committee of Military Affairs, which became the House Armed Services Committee. Okay. So oh. he was really in charge of taking care of the Union Army and making sure they were supplied. <clears throat> he was, um, huh. yeah, 
He was he had a, he had a big role in that. First, Grant had to offer to him the Secretary of War. He declined that position, and then after that, he was then offered the VP mm-hmm. for Grant's second term. Okay, yeah, for those um, definitely for his anti-slavery slant. Mm-hmm. Held as out, well. held out for the VP role. Yeah, held out yeah. for the VP role. Russ, thank you as always. Um, now go back to doing whatever you were doing. Drinking. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> in 1871, Grant oversaw the passage of the so-called Ku Klux Klan Act, which armed him with the power to declare martial law and suspend habeas corpus in areas deemed to be in a state of insurrection. The law got its first test later that year when he sent troops into South Carolina and ran thousands of Klansmen out of the state. Thanks to his administration's efforts, the extremists were effectively cowed into submission over the next few years, and they wouldn't resurface in force until the early 1900s. So I think I want to reiterate a point I made earlier. Go like ahead. The 15th Amendment was passed, but the folks in the South obviously dealing with abject poverty in mm-hmm. Reconstruction, like inflation was crazy. The Secret Service was formed in this time because there were so many counterfeit bills being passed yeah, the they came in right in Lincoln's right final after days. Lincoln. Yeah. Actually, the day he was assassinated, yeah. the Secret Service came into play. So what a lot of people don't know is the Secret Service's actual main mission is counterfeit yeah. and fraud investigation. Department of the Treasury, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's the Secret Service that everybody knows that protects the president sure. that, that came to be after Lincoln. But they were originally designed during Reconstruction to combat fraud. Mm. And, you know, most of the guys that even are on detail have done a lot of fraud cases. And now it's a lot of, you know, like credit card stuff and like the phone calls you get from the people that claim they're from the IRS and stuff yeah. like that. So they realized in the South, like, well, we know the judges, we know the police, we know all of the Justice Department here. Like, there's nothing stopping us from preventing the newly freed slaves from voting mm-hmm. or from taking jobs or yeah. from just living their normal lives. And so there were literally violence in the streets. Yeah. And it's not, Grant made huge strides, right? Like, he combated the KKK. Yeah. Let's not pretend it stopped with sure. Grant. But there was no uh, checks and balances on this. They literally knew I can go into the middle of the street and kill that entire black family Mm -hmm. and no one will do anything Mm -hmm. about it. And so Grant was enraged by this and he took it personally upon himself to get rid of the KKK. Now, that didn't solve the entire problem right? because you didn't have to be in a group, in a a secret society to be able to do these acts. But it did at least eliminate it for a short period of time to your point when they came back in force in the twenties. Well, I think he saw this as, you know, he saw this group as public enemy number one of ripping apart everything that he had fought and his comrades had fought so much to preserve that. I think he really was infuriated with like this moral cause of they're not going to tear apart what we fought to, to keep together. I would think too, that there's something, you know, that, would be offensive to him about the KKK outside of, of what they were fighting against the way they did it. Mm. You wore a hood to conceal your identity. I mean, it's cowardly. Yeah. You're, he probably saw them as a giant bunch of cowards. Yeah. If you believe in something strong enough to fight about it, do it as a man out in the open, whether, mm. you know, like, obviously I, violently disagree with what you are fighting about sure but if you're gonna do it don't be a coward about it well not to mention that this is a man who literally commanded nearly two hundred thousand black soldiers right who fought for 
the freedoms that they were recently given. Yeah. Grant is nominated for re-election in 1872. He wins 55% of the popular vote over Horace Greeley, who actually died during the electoral vote being counted. So he receives over half of the electoral votes. Famously, Susan B. Anthony voted in that election yes. and was arrested for voting in that yeah. election, yeah. and Grant pardoned her. We've come a long way, haven't yeah. we? Russ, you mentioned the Credit Mobile scandal in 1872. Uh, shortly after that, in 1873, there's an economic depression that lasts for five years. So there's businesses that are failing and rampant unemployment. In 1875, the Civil Rights Act was passed which ensured that black Americans would have the same right to use inns, transportation, theaters, and the like, among other things. However, this law was ruled unconstitutional in 1883. Also, there was another scandal called the Whiskey Ring Scandal, mm-hmm. Blaine. You had mentioned this uh, a little earlier in the episode in 1875. Many distillers and federal agents were fraudulently keeping money that should have been paid as a tax on liquor. Grant became part of the scandal when he protected his personal secretary from punishment. So between the basic three scandals and then one we'll talk about post-presidency that wasn't a scandal but bankrupted him sure grant's biggest problem biggest flaw was trust he trusted too many people yeah he put blind faith in too many people close to him and i think a lot of that was if you look at in every scenario there were folks in those scenarios that fought alongside him or in the civil war and he just had such reverence for those people He thought if you did something as noble as fight alongside me, then Mm -hmm. I have no reason to not trust you. Yeah. He was really good at seeing his enemy on the other side of, Mm -hmm. of, okay, you were diametrically opposed to me. However, within his own ranks, he was not good at seeing He couldn't separate that. You can do something noble like the Civil War and still be a criminal. Right. And and so that was really his biggest downfall. And, And, you know, he gets a lot of flack as a president, you know, legacy, which we can talk about later. Sure. And he, he kind of falls down the ranks because of these three major scandals. He didn't know anything about them. He yeah. wasn't involved in them. Correct. It was just the people that he entrusted were the wrong people and they were yeah. the ones that did it. And we're talking about the Gilded Age. So everybody just assumed yeah. the money is flowing like salmon of Capistrano. Right. Beer's flowing like wine. <laughs> the uh, We can get away with whatever we want. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So... Yeah, there was one last scandal in 1876 that his Secretary of War, W.W. Belknap, was accepting bribes. He was unanimously impeached by the House, and he resigned. We're going to refresh our beverages and invite you to do the same, unless you're driving, of course, and let you hear from another of our fantastic sponsors. Before we dive into Grant's legacy and little-known facts about him, you are listening to Episode 18, The Sphinx of the Presequential Podcast. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you are in the market to refinance your mortgage and want an expert to walk you through that process, you need to schedule a call today with Austin Bowman at Caliber Home Loans. Austin's been a friend of mine for years and is one of Caliber's top performing loan consultants with over 14 years of experience and expertise. Austin's number one priority is honesty. He's going to listen to your unique needs and guide you through Caliber's superior processing, underwriting, and closing process. For a smooth, hassle-free process from application to closing on your new mortgage, email Austin Bowman today at austin.bowman, that's B-O-W-M-A-N, at caliberhomeloans.com. You can also find Austin's email in our show notes. Whatever you do, don't ask Austin about the time when he took me out for my first time golfing when we were 16 and we almost hit a goose with our cart. Guys, email austin.bowman at caliberhomeloans.com today. Welcome back to episode 18, The Sphinx, sponsored by Greek's Pizzeria, greekspizzeria.com. 
It's our taste. Go get some delicious pizza from them. After Grant retired from the presidency, he and his wife Julia traveled throughout Europe, Asia, and Africa. He was greeted everywhere as a conquering hero. He met Queen Victoria. He met Otto von Bismarck and Benjamin Disraeli, among others. After this worldwide tour, he retires to Illinois, and he finds that a faction of the Republican He helped Party- negotiate a treaty between China and Japan. That's one of the, th- it's a, the relatively large thing you missed Sorry, on that what? tour. Well, also, he almost didn't go on that tour because right before he left, he realized he didn't have a passport. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Who could I have to pull some strings for me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Not my secretary of war. He's already Just been impeached. <laughs> not my well, secretary. Not, wait, no. what about Scott? Nope. Skylar's <laughs> gone too. No, he's gone. A- ape. Nope. Ape's gone. No, I can't. Uh, yeah, that's imagine that when you're like, oh, I'm going to go to <laughs> Europe. And they're like, actually, you're not. Sorry. You're yeah. just one of us now. Presidents, okay. they're just like us. Thank you for reminding me that he got that treaty. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he finds that a Republican Party faction in 1879 was eager to nominate him for a third term. Although he did nothing to encourage support, he received more than 300 votes in each of the 36 ballots of the 1880 convention, which finally nominated James Garfield. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he almost was a third termer without even wanting to be. From the lasagna party. That episode's going to be insufferable for you. (laughs) <laughs> I appreciate that the 18th already is for the 20th yeah. grief. Okay, so Grant helps his son by borrowing money to set him up with a friend named Ferdinand Ward in a brokerage firm. While Ward turned out to be the Bernie Madoff of his day and was pulling the fleece over every investor's eyes, including the former president's. In an attempt to help save his son's firm, Grant secured a personal loan from William Vanderbilt, the richest man in the world at the time. The loan of $150,000 was a personal favor. Vanderbilt exclaimed, quote, What I've heard about that firm would not justify me in lending it a dime. However, uh-huh. Vanderbilt gave Grant the money against his better judgment, <laughs> saying, To you, to General Grant, I am making this loan. Well, the firm went bankrupt when Ward skipped town, and Grant lost all of his family's money, basically starting him over from scratch. Mm-hmm. Was that Cornelius's son, the famous... Railroad tycoon who hated riding railroads. Oh, yeah. I feel like Cornelius was a little bit later, but I don't know. There's several Vanderbilts that I get mixed up. Maybe he was a Commodore. Could have been. Wrote Brick House. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Anyway. That was, yeah, I was, okay. That, that works too. <laughs> well, so now Grant is penniless, uh, essentially, and he still needs to repay Vanderbilt. And so to settle this debt, he pays Vanderbilt back with Civil War memorabilia and items that he received on his whirlwind world tour of 1877 through 79. Yeah, because like he just collected stuff like, yeah. the whole time. Like I'm pretty sure when he was in Japan, he got like a katana. Yeah, like a sword. Yeah. Yeah, from a ninja turtle. Yeah, signed by Randy <laughs> Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> just chopping watermelons. <laughs> Slow motion on YouTube. But like, well, and like you said, like he met the veritable who's who of Europe at the time. Otto von Bismarck. Did he get one of those spiked hats? Oh man, I hope he did. I hope he did. What are the, what's the spike for, sir? I don't know. They just look awesome. Yeah. He's like, look at this photo. Look at it though. Look at it. Doesn't this look cooler than that guy's non-spiky helmet? (laughs) (laughs) 
I've got a spike. These go to 11. <laughs> so he sells off all this stuff to try to repay this massive debt. I mean, $150,000 at the time was, was the, the guy's of nickname dollars. was the young Napoleon of finance. Uh, Ferdinand Ward. Yeah. 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 I mean, this Which was. Is, why? I don't know. The was young Napoleon. The young Napoleon of finance was his nickname. That's just and a this, horrible nickname. Remember, not very long after Napoleon existed. Mm-hmm. It was pre-ice uh, cream party uh, in Bill and Ted, but after his... Wow, that was a stretch for me. Ziggy I'm like, are you talking about... Ziggy That's Napolitan. Napoleon. No, no, no. Neapolitan no. ice cream. No, no, no. I'm talking about I'm Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of railroads, let's get this back on the tracks. So Grant is now... I mean, he's starting from scratch. He's trying to rebuild this fortune. He's lost everything. Everything. And at the urging and assistance of Mark Twain, yeah. Samuel Clemens, Grant ended up writing his memoirs in the Adirondack Mountains in New York at the unheard of royalty rate of 75%. He was going to sign with another publisher, but Twain yeah. felt pity on the former president in general and said, listen, you're about to sign a really bad deal. I've got a way better offer that I could give you. It was it was royalties versus an upfront. Yeah. So Twain convinced him go for the royalties mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. because his whole purpose in writing the memoirs was to set julia and the family up Correct. because he had lost their inheritance yep. yeah in the uh, young napoleon of finance and so mark was like no no no. like the best thing to do is we do royalties she gets them forever yeah and everybody's gonna read this thing it's gonna yes. be lit yeah as the kids said <laughs> back in 18 what 85 yeah yeah so it's always weird when people like Mark Twain pop in or like a yeah. few episodes ago, Daniel Boone. Right. Uh, like, cause they're, they, they seem, they're such larger than life figures. Yeah. And almost to the point of like Paul Bunyan. Yeah. They're, they're, mythical. Yeah. Mythical sure. people. It's like what I said with, I mean, even Napoleon or uh, Lafayette or who's the guy we talked about in the, the bonus episode with Sickles. Neapolitan. Oh, Casanova. Casanova. Casanova, yeah. Dang Casanova was. was a real person. <laughs> but yeah, so Mark Twain is the one that convinces him to write the memoirs. He writes them incessantly. Yeah. Like day and night. He's yep. he's putting in like 14, 15 hour days yeah. writing because he knows his time is cut short. Well, because, and this was sort of the reference that you made way earlier in the episode, you know, he's given all these cigars. Yeah. Uh, he's smoking them incessantly, like 20 cigars a day. Yeah. You know, faces turn out like Rocky Dennis. <laughs> Is that why he had the beard? Yeah. Oh, gosh. So he gets tongue cancer, I believe, which spreads throughout his throat. Yeah. He had to have a surgery at one point. Yeah. Like emergency surgery on his throat. And, and eventually his voice is gone. Yeah. I mean, because he can't speak. He was dictating some of this to a mm-hmm. to a, a secretary or a family member who was jotting it down. That's impossible. Because it's like a three volume set. Yeah. Right? And yeah. there was copies of it. At the Harrison house. That's right. There yeah. were, yes, that we saw. Yeah. That's going to be a really special episode, Ooh. by the way. Uh, yeah. We can't wait for that. Well, Grant's last days were spent on his porch in the Adirondacks with pencil and paper wrapped in blankets and in fearsome pain, slowly scrawling out his life's epic tale. Now, he didn't go into his presidency. He skipped over the four years of business failures in Galena. Mm-hmm. It was really all about the Civil, Civil War. Because that's what people wanted to know. Yeah, yeah. And he I fit- mean, even now, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I would assume most of the people listening to this probably want us to 
cover more civil war stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, most people, I mean, people don't think of Grant as the president. People think of Grant as the general. Well, literally on the cover of this book, uh, Grant by Ron Chernow, he's wearing his military uniform. You know, he's not in a suit as he would be as president. Yeah. He finishes his book just two days before he dies. Literally the last words of his memoirs on his deathbed. He passes away on July 23rd, 1885, and the personal memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant, as it is entitled, was a critical and commercial huge success, earning Julia royalties of about 450000 or $13 million in today's money. Imagine a book now earning $13 million. I mean... Harry like, Potter? What? Ma- name two other books besides the Harry Potter books that make that much money. Harry Potter 2. Well, Harry Potter okay. I don't know. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> maybe. Twilight, probably? Yeah, maybe. Like, I don't know. what. Like, what's a Michael Lewis book? Like, what's he net on something like that? Because, like, he's the only one I can think of that's not, you know, this pulp sure. stuff that you're right, talking right, about. Right, right, yeah. Michael Lewis, Gladwell, Klosterman. Like, yep. do they make $13 million? I, I would doubt no, it, right? They probably get an advance and some royalties. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Like that's insane. It's it's I mean this is lauded as really the best presidential autobiography ever to date. Huh. Yeah. What did uh Kennedy make on it wasn't a biography but it was on like John Quincy Adams and Oh yeah, I forgot that he wrote about. I don't know. I don't know. Cuz that was really popular yeah. when he wrote it. Now granted it was way before his presidency. Ah, granted. Yeah. I see what you Perfect. did. Perfect. Yeah. I did that on purpose. Thanks man. Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, this book really saved his family's oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, and to think that he finished it literally two days before he died, and thinking of well, and that's not uncommon, right? Like a lot of people, yeah. they, they're very focused on a certain aspect, or maybe it's yeah. you know getting one thing done, and then yeah. once it's done, they go, okay, I'm I'm done fighting. Now. You think of you think of politicians who put in the hard work when they need to. This is someone who has served in the highest office of the land, helped to preserve the Union. I mean, grew up in the 1800s when life was hard already. And you think of the character, and the integrity, farmer. the fortitude that it took to get this story done before yeah. he dies. Not for himself, too. For his family. For his family. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, I knew very, very little about Grant as president before this. And I think that's one of those things that really struck a chord with me about his personal character mm-hmm. that I really enjoyed in this book. Learning yeah. from learning from that. A funeral assembly seven miles long accompanied Grant's coffin to a temporary vault in New York City's Riverside Park. In 1897, on the 75th anniversary of his birth, his remains were removed to a magnificent neoclassical granite tomb at Riverside Drive in Manhattan. The project was paid for by almost 100,000 private contributions. A million people turned out for the dedication proceedings with President William McKinley among the dignitaries in attendance. The outside reads, let us have peace, Grant's own words. That was his campaign slogan Mm -hmm. in 72. Correct. Julia was laid to rest next to her husband after her death in 1902. Sorry, that was his campaign slogan in 68. Not 72. That was his first campaign. I'll forgive it. Let's talk about his legacy. So we talked scandals really are the best remembered feature of the Grant Mm -hmm. administration as president, really obscuring the good work that he did, namely civil rights for former slaves, working to ratify the 15th Amendment and taking on the KKK in the early 1870s. Go ahead. I, I see where you're going with this. 
you're talking about his presidential legacy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. His legacy is not it, the president. Yeah. Presidency is like number yeah. two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His legacy is he won the Civil War. That is correct. If, if it weren't for him, I mean, as we discussed in the Lincoln episodes, the South had the the super team. Yeah. Right. right. They were like to put it in sports terms. <laughs> they had the dream team. Right? 93. They, yeah, yeah. They right. had 92. 92. Come on. Okay. Sorry. They had, yeah. They had <laughs> Jordan, Magic, Bird, yeah, like John had, Stockton. <laughs> don't forget the Chris. Well, don't forget the that Chris Mullen was also yeah, John on. John Stockton was the one. <laughs> that was in Drexler. the north. <laughs> he was, there was only one good one. No, Let's see who could we get from Utah? <laughs> <laughs> don't John Stockton was fantastic. He's the NBA assist leader. We don't need to. He could drain some threes too. So his legacy is the Civil War. I don't yeah. think it's the presidency. Right, I think right, right. as president, and that's you know he has the scandals. To your point. Yeah. And, but I, but, think, I mean, that wasn't him. I mean, that was like right happening around. But that's him. what he gets rated on. Correct. Yeah. Um, and that's what. What? Where is he at in C-SPAN? He's um, like he's in the top twenty, isn't he? Well, he's so we every episode we talk about C-SPAN's presidential historian survey. He's currently at twenty two below 22, okay. John Quincy Adams and right above Grover Cleveland. I think that's probably fair as a president. Yeah. Yeah. I think, but if you're going. Full life. Right. And this which is the they question, don't do. This is the question rankings. that we ask is how is the country different because of Ulysses S. Yeah, he's yeah. one of the most influential of all the presidents. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're going influence wise, mm-hmm. right? Like Lincoln's gonna be at the top. Sure. Washington. Washington. FDR. And then Grant or FDR. Yeah. yeah. Like I would put Grant ahead of FDR mm. from an influence standpoint, mm. like long term. Yeah. I mean, because of FDR we have Social Security, yeah. we have unemployment benefits, sure. HUD, you, you know, yeah. lots of those Start types of CCC. things. Yeah, the, all those things. Yeah. But like, there's no FDR, there's no full United States to fight World War II mm. if it's not for Grant. That's a great point, man. Yeah. There's no country to fight for unless you have Grant in there. Yeah. We're not a global superpower. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. If we're split in two or right. multiple, which yeah. is my personal theory. Hmm. I think that had the Confederacy won, they would have continued fracturing. Isn't there some somewhere in like Brazil or in South America, there is some town, there's a village, there's a city that that has deep Confederate roots because many of the Confederate officers migrated down. Mexico. Is that in Mexico? We actually used to work. Russ and I used to work with someone that wrote their doctoral dissertation Uh on this specific place in Mexico yeah. that Confederate uh, sympathizers and Mormons that were still super tied to the polygamy. polygamy. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, they, it's, in, it's in Brazil. Yeah, 10, 10 to 20,000 Confederates moved to Brazil near Sao Paulo after the Civil War. Um, well, there's another one in Mexico. Yeah, it's called the, the New Virginia Colony was a colonization plan in central Mexico to resettle ex-Confederates wow. after the American Civil War. Man, and there's still a pretty large Mormon community in that, there now yeah. to this day, right? Yeah. Well, didn't Grant take on the Mormons at one point, too? Uh, well, he would have been like like adjacent the, to that because that yeah. was around the Mexican-American War. If you like remember, was, they stood up that full Mormon battalion so they could have their own freedom. Like, they could get their right. own land if they volunteered for the Mexican-American the War. The, uh, the um the original name for utah oh man yeah desiree yeah yeah yeah. man this is fun this has been a really good episode (laughs) i think that's i think we cover legacy pretty well there yeah little known facts let's dive in can Um, i do one because i I only have she would do more than one so he personally tried to prevent custer 
from dying, essentially. Mm -hmm. He thought Custer was being way too aggressive at the Battle of Little Bighorn. 1875, yeah. Yeah, he personally tried to intervene. He was like, hey, I kind of know what I'm talking about here. Like, you're doing this wrong. And, And basically blamed Custard's death on his own arrogance. Self-aggrandizement. Really. Yeah. yeah. Quote, I regard Custer's massacre as a sacrifice of troops brought on by Custer himself. Yeah. Side note, Custer also buried a stone's throw from my grandfather in the West Point Cemetery. Huh. Yeah. yeah. There you go. But that was another one of those things that like, yeah, he, he tried to mentor. He, he, <laughs> he, he tried. He saw the, I think he saw the uh, potential in Custer mm. and, you know, some yep. some people you can't help. Yeah, right. <laughs> and man, did Custer get messed up? Whew. Oh gosh, in in this book, there's some page where it's like, wow, they the Native well, Americans really, really did a number on, on, is that on Custer Custers. died at the Battle of Little Bighorn, but maybe he didn't. <laughs> I'm not even gonna take that. Well, bait. Hold on, let me do my Ryan Allwart impression. <laughs> Great Royal Tenenbaums reference, Blaine. <laughs> Is my voice that deep? <laughs> Do I put both my hands on the table awkwardly like that? <laughs> All right, little known facts. Here we go. This is one of our favorite segments of the podcast. Uh, Grant grew six inches in height in the four years he spent at West Point, going from five foot in enrollment to five foot six by the time he graduated. Huh. That's a gross spurt. He was known for being very unkempt. Not only in his days at West Point, but uh, throughout the Civil War. We talked about him being called a drunk during the Civil War. President Lincoln supposedly his responded. What? His whole life. His whole life. He couldn't yeah. escape it. President Lincoln supposedly responded by asking what kind of whiskey the general preferred. Quote, I urged them to ascertain and let me know. For if it made fighting generals like Grant, I should like to get some of it for distribution. <laughs> He's like, what's that guy drinking? So what or, is it? Let's get some of McClellan. Get, let's win this thing. Come on. His wife, Julia, had a cast in her left eye and squinted. Photography was just becoming part of the political scene when Julia rose to prominence as first lady and self-conscious about her looks she contemplating having surgery to correct her eyes but grant vetoed the idea to his wife saying he loved her as she was consequently almost all pictures of julia grant you will see are taken in profile so that's not necessarily a little known fact so the senate his wife upheld the veto they did (laughs) got it (laughs) yes the Grants majority. Were, uh, were called ostentatious while living in the White House. They redecorated it lavishly and entertained accordingly with state dinners, sometimes consisting of 29 courses complemented by nine French wines. It was the Gilded Age, after all. Yeah. As you we said. really need to do a bonus episode on the White House because the, the Ooh, way it has yeah, yeah. changed over time is fascinating. That'd be really fun. Grant appointed more Jewish people to public office than had any of his predecessors, and he extended unprecedented support to persecuted Jews in Russia and Romania. Now, partly in order to live down General Orders Number 11 from the Civil War that we talked about, but he consciously worked to assist Jews and secure them equality. Yeah, the Romania thing was... Uh, I, I, we, I totally forgot about that. That was really, really big. Yeah, yeah. 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 He also tried to annex the Dominican Republic to the U.S. He wanted to add it as a military base, a sanctuary for freed slaves, and as a market for U.S. goods. Uh, the treaty was approved by the Dominicans, but it stalled in the Senate. He also was a big proponent of a canal in Nicaragua, mm. which will come up later. Yes. 
A man, a plan, a canal, Panama. No, no, I said Nicaragua. No, but that's probably my favorite palindrome <laughs> of all time. Yeah, it's the same forward. A man, backwards. a plan, a canal, Panama. Nicaragua. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> oh, that doesn't work at all. In 1870, he signed legislation that made Christmas a legal public holiday within the nation's what? capital. Mm-hmm. Within the nation's capital, out of his passion to unify the nation. Other holidays included in law were New Year's, Fourth of July, and Thanksgiving. The legislation was meant to adapt to similar laws in every state of the Union. Was that part of General Order Number 11? <laughs> it was not, Blaine. <laughs> In 1872, Grant signed into law an act of Congress that established Yellowstone National Park, the nation's first national park. I I always thought that was Teddy Roosevelt, but it was Grant in 1872. Yeah, No, it was already a national park. He did a lot of other things with national parks, but yeah. He vetoed more bills than any of his predecessors with 93. That's kind of a boring little known fact, but it's true. He instituted the Department of Justice, the mm-hmm. Office of the Surgeon General, and the Army Weather Bureau, now known as the National Weather Service. <laughs> but the Office of the Surgeon General at the time was like, ah, cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> just hack it off and yeah. then just dip the saw in some bloody water. Yeah. And- it's fine. Here, sure. Have some cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) What's gangrene? Let's bleed it out. Mm, You can take it. Colorado became a state. Colorado. Colorado. Colorado uh, became a state during Grant's time in office on August 1st, 1876. Well, that's our first in a while, isn't it? It has been, yeah. 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 Not too many states have become members of the union. Right. Not too many states. Okay. Gosh. Yeah. His tomb is the largest mausoleum in North America. It was said that the idea of a single burial place for Ulysses and Julia stemmed from their visit to the tomb of Ferdinand and Isabella in Spain. Oh. So they were inspired by their visit on their whirlwind tour following That's his presidency. Fascinating. Yeah. This is the largest. Yeah. Huh. Largest in North America. He does have a memorial. It is being currently restored, and it's expected to be completed at the foot of Capitol Hill in our nation's capital before the bicentennial of Grant's birth in 2022. That's kind of cool. I didn't yeah. realize he had a memorial. The General Grant Sequoia in California is the second largest tree in the world behind the General Sherman Sequoia. Yes. That's, yeah. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that cool? No, I'm for that. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I am for that. I love Sherman. <laughs> yeah. This tree has also been designated as the nation's Christmas tree uh, ever since 1926. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, well, I mean, fun. he made Christmas. So. He actually got arrested for speeding when he was president. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> he did. Quite the horseman, correct? We, oh, we, yeah. He, he, right? Yeah, he wasn't driving a, a Model T. He was riding his horse. He got, quote unquote, pulled over. I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how, you, get, I don't know how you get pulled over. Uh, he was speeding excessively. He was ordered to stop. And he was given a lecture by the police officer. Quit standing on the horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> show off. Um, apparently, many people in the nation's capital at the time, like there was a six-year-old child that had been seriously injured by a team of horses. Oh, okay. That was so we made out. all the jokes and you're so, like, a kid died. Yeah, yeah. So the officer said, Mr. President, I want to tell you that you are violating the law by driving at reckless well, he speed. he was the president when I He happened. was the president. <laughs> he said, your fast driving, sir, has set the example driving. for a lot of other gentlemen. 
It is endangering the lives of the people who have to cross the street. Only this evening, a lady was knocked down by one of the racing teams. And he said, well, sorry, I promise I won't do it at all again. But the very next day, he did it again. And he got booked. He actually was jailed. Book him, Dano. Book him! He was jailed. But he... I was. It, what's fun is like the police officer that arrested him and actually booked him. They became friends oh, later in life. Of and, course they and, did. And later, this guy became probably, a buddy comedy. Probably over a <laughs> cigar, he actually admitted. He said, "Hey, I've I've done the same thing before too." So yeah, uh, I was yeah. once uh, when I was in the army. I was pulled over for speeding in a Bradley. <laughs> what? Uh huh. Yeah. Where were you? Were off base or no? The, no. No. I was. Base. We were on like tank trails at Fort Bliss. I was the platoon sergeant's driver. Yeah. Me, the platoon sergeant, our gunner went through this course. And, you got pulled over. Yeah, while driving a, <laughs> a tracked vehicle. <laughs> I'm I'm glad in our like five years of friendship. I'm just hearing this story. <laughs> I'm also a little disappointed. By <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's funny. Thank you for listening to the Presequential Podcast brought to you by <laughs> Greeks Pizzeria. Greeks, it's our taste. Go to greekspizzeria.com. If you love this episode, please subscribe. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts and share it with a friend. And please leave a review because that really helps us get mm-hmm. in the ears of other history buffs. Be sure to check out our other generous sponsors as well. Our next episode on 19th President Rutherford B. Hayes will be released on Wednesday, September 29th, 2021. In the meantime, you can follow us on all the socials at Presequential, and you can also get early ad-free and bonus episodes of the podcast when you join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash presequential. We hope you enjoyed episode 18, The Sphinx of the Presequential Podcast. 